This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Gareth Spence is Senior Director of Digital Marketing and Public Relations at Adver. He helps companies build global brands and grow new revenue opportunities. He has an in-depth knowledge of how to produce compelling and original multimedia content for senior audiences. Gareth Spence, welcome to ClientSide. It's a pleasure to be here, Nathan. Thank you for inviting me. I've got a fresh mug of coffee and I'm ready to talk PR and marketing. Let's do it. I'm just as pumped and excited as as you are. This is going to be all things content, multimedia, and I guess just the state of the content overload. But before we get into all of that good stuff, let's talk about your background because you've got a background in broadcast production from your time at Bloomberg, where you started your career. What perspective did that huge media and news organization give you and bring to your perspective on the way that PR and marketing and digital content should be created? Well, I have to say that I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but my early career was was the ideal preparation for a role in PR and digital marketing. And it, it gave me several things, I would say. Firstly, it helped me to understand what journalists need. When you're being inundated with press releases and pitches all day long, you as a, as a PR professional need to be able to cut through the noise and deliver your message to the journalist in the most succinct and persuasive way possible. Really try to grab their attention and give them something that they'll find useful and be able to develop a story on. Secondly, it was content. I worked primarily across TV and radio, and I learned how to produce material all the way from uh, inception through to production and then on to publication. And this knowledge really is key for my role today. I can pick up a camera and record videos. I can handle editing software. I can use mics and sound desks. And in today's multimedia age where you need to really actively engage your audience with rich and really varied content. It's imperative that you know what you're doing, especially if you're trying to get messages out quickly and really keep costs low. And the third thing I would say is is pressure. When you're working on live TV and radio, things don't always go according to plan, especially in news. I covered 9-11, the fall of Iraq, presidential elections. And in all of these instances, you need to know how to handle the pressure. You need to be able to respond quickly and effectively. And that's also true for PR, uh, you know, especially if you think of crisis communications or even just general day-to-day activities. You really need to be able to handle the pressure, know when to sit back, know when to respond and behave accordingly. So... I'm sure that you would agree that things have sped up a little bit since your early days in, in Bloomberg. Just the amount of content that we're exposed to and that both companies and individuals are creating has exploded. You know, we're definitely living in what I would say the content age. There's never been so much content about. And we say that every four or five years, but it's true and it's getting worse. How do the best companies and the best individuals 
cut through when there's so much noise and how do they win with content marketing in this age of content overload? For me, one of the best ways to cut through the noise is to turn your customers into fans. When you build this type of relationship with your customers, then you know that your content is always going to have a better chance of resonating. Just look at some of the big brands that are doing this today. You know, Salesforce, for me, is, is one of the best. People are actively seeking out their material in addition to waiting for it to actively drop into their channels. And that's something I really try to aspire to. I think once, you, once your customers are fans, then you can really tick a big box and know that people are going to get that content. If you don't have that type of connection with your customers, then I think you really need to push the content out there and make sure it gets seen, and whether that's through organic SEO, uh, paid channels, influencers, or any other means that you can tap into. You've really just got to battle each day to get that material seen, heard, digested, and then hopefully start a conversation as well. So it's a continuing battle, I would say, to do that. One of my favorite quotes from a book that I'm absolutely blanking on now, but it's it's to do with how things become popular. I think that might even be the title. It says, content is king, but distribution is the kingdom, meaning that content is obviously important and crucial to, you know, crucial to have, but it's distribution really that will make the difference between whether or not your content is actually seen and acted upon or not, because you can have the best content in the world, but if no one sees it, then what's the point in, in, in creating it? So what I hear you saying there is actually, it's the channels and the distribution that is equally, if not more important than the content that you're creating. Without question. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a, a synergistic relationship between the two. The content's got to be good in the first place. Uh, but then also the channels clearly have to be established and, and you have to be able to present the information to where your audience is. And I think that's constantly changing. I think, you know, clearly we've seen with TikTok, Instagram, all these visual mediums that the content never uh, sits still. It always has to evolve. And that, like you said, that happens every few years. Something comes along and you need to be uh, seen on that channel. Maybe the next one's the metaverse. Maybe, mm. you know, my son just got a um, an Oculus for his birthday a few weeks ago. I'm jealous. I thought I would be too, and then I played on it. And I have to say, I struggled a little bit with some of the uh, the movement. I was okay on one level if I was just going back and forth. But if I started to drop, if I, you know, if anything played with that kind of uh, up and down motion, then I, I had to sit down. <laughs> That's a generational thing. Definitely, I'm sure he he doesn't have that problem. Not at all. <laughs> I, I did feel a bit old when I went on it, and it's like, okay, I need to rest now. This is, uh, <laughs> but but it'll be interesting to see how that develops and how brands start to engage in the metaverse and if it's something that can be leveraged uh, uh, for a brand. I, I think, especially given the demographic of where the metaverse is at the minute, I think we'll see how that grows and if it does grow i you know is it something that people 
you know, in their mid-40s will be doing a lot of, or will it remain the realm of uh, very young people and uh, kind of uh, people enmeshed in tech that play with it? Will it go beyond that? I guess maybe as the form factor of the headsets starts to get smaller, perhaps, maybe as Apple introduces their headset in, in possibly a few months, maybe it will change and... and It'll be important to be seen on that platform too. But who knows at this point in time? Who knows? Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, the future happens really slowly and then all at once. Um, and it seemed to be the same for the internet, where in the early days it was just, you know, a, a small handful of techies that were, that were you know, communicating with each other and kind of sharing content. And then all of a sudden it feels as though it's ubiquitous in relatively short space of time, you would say. So you could argue that a similar thing would happen with the metaverse, but we digress. Let's talk a little bit about Adva because it's probably one of the biggest companies that people have never heard of. Tell us a little bit about the company for those that aren't familiar. Well, the talk of the metaverse and the internet does tie into to Adva as well. Adva is a company that makes the internet work, if you will. We produce the software and the hardware that helps to transport data from point A to point B. We're essentially the plumbers of the internet. Without companies like us, this conversation wouldn't be taking place right now. So while most people, you know, I guess people like Facebook tend to get most of the attention, Zoom, uh, Google, clearly, and some of those companies that sit above us, you know, we are there underneath all the while doing the heavy lifting, moving that data. The middleware. Oh, well, we're, we're right at the bottom, to be truthful. Yeah, oh. so we're right at the um, the bottom of the stack uh, when it comes to the internet. Hmm. So again, I, I think that's where that analogy of, of uh, plumbing comes in. Uh, we are the guys that make the pipes work, that enable all the good stuff that comes on top of that, uh, that people enjoy on their iPhones and their laptops and their iPads and their headsets. Interesting. So you're the reason why my internet's been running slow. Well, I don't know if we can take, you know, uh, responsibility for that. I, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about your responsibility and role as senior director of marketing for PR for the company. What are you responsible for and what are the main growth challenges that you're experiencing at, at the moment? My role covers a very broad remit within the company, uh, but essentially I'm responsible for, for two areas. In digital marketing, I handle Adva's website development, social media, online content, whether it be videos, podcasts, blogs, or any other areas, and, and critically web to lead too. So one of the areas that we have focused upon uh, over the past decade or so is trying to leverage our online platforms to actively drive leads and in turn, drive revenue. The other side is PR. And you could say that's more traditional PR, focusing upon messaging, journalist relations, media monitoring, competitive analysis, all that kind of stuff. And for me, the two really go hand in hand. They really uh, mix well together. Uh, I'm very much a fan of seeing uh, marketing teams being driven by PR and digital, uh, I think it's key. In regards to growth, recently, COVID 
has been a huge growth factor. There's been this huge shift in what we all do and where we do it. We're, we're no longer purely in, in the offices. We are at home primarily. And that has really changed the shape of uh, residential broadband. So where before we'd come home and we'd be watching Netflix or you know maybe Skyping with friends, uh, now we're doing everything. We're Zooming, we're working, uh, we're doing all that leisure. The kids have all their online classes. And again, the headsets, the metaverse, you know, all of that is, is really changing the shape of, you know, that residential kind of access, which in turn is causing problems for service providers who in turn need to develop that part of the network. As you said, you're, you're suffering at the moment with some slowness and that could be a, a you know, a reflection of that changing nature of what's happening in the home. I know things are opening up now and we're kind of slowly returning to the office, but I think we have seen a to use a maybe overused phrase, a paradigm shift in in how we do things. Uh, and on top of that, there's tremendous growth in, in other areas as well, kind of, uh, uh, as we said, e-learning, but also in regards to, you know, hospitals and such, like doing more kind of remote stuff. Uh, all needs to travel from from A to B. And, and for Adver, whether people are, are making that happen. So, you know, how do you transport more data down a, fiber optic cable or how do you uh make that data go wirelessly from your phone to a mast and then onwards to its destination uh these are all kind of key questions that have really driven adverse business over the over the past couple of years and uh made my space far more interesting as well uh trying to develop campaigns that can promote what we do to the service providers across the globe and really make sure that we are known as a, a solution provider that can handle what they need. What have you learned over the years about what it takes to make PR campaigns successful? What are the fundamentals of great PR? Hmm, That's a great question. For me, I think a good PR campaign always starts with the story. Do you have a good story to tell? If yes, then everything becomes a little easier and things fall into place. I think if you don't have a good story, then you're clearly in a battle from the get-go and you really need to work hard to find the kind of the, the germ of a story in there. Uh, the fundamentals of good PR are also planning and preparation. A good PR campaign takes months to develop especially given the sheer wealth of content that needs to accompany, you know, the press release before, you know, I think if we go back a few years, much of a, a PR campaign used to hinge upon the press release and, you know, journalist relations, and you'd have to go past the gatekeepers to get to the audience. But since the collapse of print media, that's really changed. You know, you you talk directly to your customers now. You talk directly to the people that you want to. And as such, a PR campaign has to address that. It needs to have compelling visual elements, you know, the video, web pages, supporting material of all shapes and flavor to be able to get your message across to the audience that you want to communicate with. And so planning and preparation really are the fundamentals. Give us an example, either from your time with Bloomberg or at Adver, 
of a PR campaign that has really outperformed or a piece of content that you're really proud of? Sure, there have been many over uh, over the years when I look back at my career. But I think one of the, the highlights for me and for Adva would be our campaign regarding high-frequency trading or low-latency trading, as it was known. And that's going back to 2011. Uh, and it was a different time then. Social media was still in its infancy, and companies were really trying to figure out how to leverage it to to their advantage. And I think we were slightly ahead of the game in some of these areas. And in 2011, when this opportunity uh, arose to help companies with this uh, low latency communication between trading floors, I think the the biggest one was uh, between New York and Chicago, we had to find ways to seize that opportunity and and really kind of drive revenue. And the way we did that was through LinkedIn. LinkedIn at that time was still a place where you could have good conversations with uh, interested parties and the marketing talk wasn't prolific as it is today. So marketers have come in, in and ruined it. Well, exactly, in many in many ways. And uh, like they do to most channels. It's a shame. But at that point in time, we found that there were many LinkedIn groups where people were just talking. You know, they were just trying to find information out. And you were able to go in there, communicate with them, and somewhat, you know, with a soft touch, try and introduce who you were and what you did and how you could help them. And for us, that drove uh, quite a significant chunk of revenue. We we went into these groups, we talked to these people, and we were able to lead them through into, um, yeah, through to our website, through to our CRM tool, and then to nurture the lead, and then to uh, see it become revenue generating. And that was that was really impressive at the time when you, you could actually say, okay, we spent X amount of hours on social media, you know, produce some of this content. And here at the end of the day is the money that it's generated. And, um, I think that kind of turned on a lot of lights at Adver at that point in time. I think perhaps up until then social media had been seen as a, as a nice to have something complimentary that you maybe should be on, but it wasn't seen as a strategic sales channel and that changed i think once we showed that you could leverage it and you could drive revenue through it and then we spent the next few years trying to recapture that magic and we did so on a few occasions by the way low latency trading that might be something that we need to define for the audience sure so it's really computers talking to each other and when high-frequency trading or low-latency trading came about, it was realized, as you said, that the fastest communication between the, the trading floors would win the deal. And that could be worth millions. And so this cottage industry sprang up, I guess you will, around how to transport that data, how to shave those milliseconds from that communication. And there were a few vendors involved in that, and they were all trying to find the fastest way. So part of that 
and the initial use case, I believe, was Chicago to New York. And it was, you know, how can you get the uh, straightest fiber optic cable from point A to point B? How can you get the data through there as fast as possible so you can so you can win the deal? And we developed equipment that helped people achieve that. And uh, it, was, it was quite a competitive space for a few years because people started to try and replicate that on other trading floors over, over larger distances. Uh, so I, I think there was also kind of transatlantic as well from the US to the UK. And I, I think some trans-Pacific as well. And it, it kind of grew and mushroomed uh, out of that initial use case. But from there, the whole idea of low latency has evolved. So if we fast forward to where we are today and talk of 5G, 5G is very dependent upon uh, low latency to really get the best of it when we look at private 5G networks. Or for example, if we look at the um, the EE commercials with uh, Kevin Bacon and mm. uh, the one where he is in someone's home and they switch the uh, flight control tower from a, <laughs> was it, is it Luton to someone's house? Mm-hmm. I forget now the exact details. Mm-hmm. But that type of thing is extremely dependent upon low latency. Um, or for example, when Kevin Bacon is having a shave uh, and, and it's being controlled by a robotic arm. Mm. And so when it comes into things like telemedicine, where you might be able to um, have remote surgeries, where you know, someone is controlling a robotic arm from yeah. many miles away. Right. That is hugely dependent upon low latency. And also o- autonomous vehicles. When we think of um, the opportunity there, when we can just jump in a car and be driven wherever we want by an, uh, an autonomous vehicle, those vehicles mm. need to be able to communicate to each other. So for safety reasons, you know what's coming You know, uh, at the next junction in the opposite direction. And that level of communication has to be so fast because if it's not accidents are going to happen and that is what people are are wrestling with now is how do you develop these uh ultra low latency networks where you can you know really do very futuristic things um without any worry of bad things happening really fascinating i think you know just to go to your point on the autonomous vehicles um, it feels as though from a technology point of view, we're there. I think regulation is the thing that probably needs to needs to catch up. Uh, I, I don't know how it looks to you from, from an insider's point of view, but that's, that's how it looks to us. Sure. I, I think there's a little way to go there in regards to um, maybe proving the technology on a, on a global scale and then getting governments to embrace it and champion it. But I think, Big steps are being taken all the time, and it will be interesting in the next few years to see how these trials that are happening, I know in the UK and in the US, if they become broader and uh, adopted. I, I think it'll be fascinating. From a safety perspective, they must be safer than what we have now. I think if you look at the amount of traffic accidents that take place on a on a, on a daily basis, you would hope that the autonomous vehicles will really reduce that and uh, make the roads a safer place. But it is all dependent on the networks, really. 
you know, people do focus on the cars a lot, but at the end of the day, the network has to be able to accommodate all of that traffic. Let's let's go back to to PR for for a moment. You mentioned the importance of LinkedIn in, in the early days to be able to kind of get your message out. Uh, it wasn't a very noisy platform at that time, and you're able to have uh, quite useful conversations with prospects that ultimately turned into customers. What's changed in the way that you create PR for Adver, the way you go to market with your storytelling and messaging over the last few years? Another great question. Thinking about that, I would say that the way we market today is far more engaged on the target audience. I think perhaps sometimes in the past, you know, going back a decade or so, sometimes maybe you did focus more on the gatekeepers of your messaging of the journalists and such like, but now you really are laser focused on what your target audience wants. What are the problems that they're really trying to solve? You know, what do they need to do in their daily business? How can you help them achieve what they want to achieve with your products? And you really need to focus upon that with each bit of content that you create. And I think that's what we do uh, far more now than perhaps we used to in the past, really focusing on those, those audiences and, and the problems that they're trying to overcome. What remains the same some elements of PR remain the same. You do want to be seen in certain publications. You still want to be seen in, in certain media. And even though that media might have changed and become more pay-to-play rather than uh, focused purely on the merits of a story, you still want to you want to play in that area. You know, uh, there are certain publications that I think everyone wants to be seen in, whether it be the Guardian or the New York Times or The Economist, you're always trying to deliver messages to these journalists where you hope they will feature you. And I think that has been the same for for many, many, many years, and I expect it will continue to. But there are some companies out there who do bypass that, who decide that actually they don't need to play that game and they are just going to talk directly to their audience. Quite a few companies now uh, issue that traditional PR program and really just focus on talking to their their customers. And it's tremendous when that happens in a way, if you think of you know some of the startups that are able to do that or some of the more established players as well. Uh, it's interesting to see how they've broken away from traditional models to really just focus on on delivering messages to their customers. Final question, Gareth, before we let you go. The show is mainly for senior B2B tech marketing leaders. What advice do you have to other senior execs listening to the show who are looking to increase the awareness or exposure for their brands and their businesses? I would say focus on your storytellers. Give them what they need to be able to tell your company's story. And once you start to do that, you begin on that journey to transform your customers into fans. And once you do that, you'll see that your marketing force rapidly expands with your fans selling your products for you. 
And it's really transformative, I think, when that happens. Gareth, great place to end. Thank you for being on Client Side. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, then please email clientside at fox.agency. The people that make this show possible are Zoe Woodward, our executive producer. Hannah Teasdale is our podcast executive. Jennifer Brennan is our digital strategist, supported by Sophia Ravanis and Alice Winterburn, our social and digital experts. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.